Good morning, and thanks for joining us today. We're very thankful that technology gives us the opportunity to still connect as a family, even if we cannot be together during this time. Uh, parents, let me encourage you. We have some resources on the Facebook page right now for your kids, some curriculums that Hannah and Nick have found and put together, some videos that will allow you to keep working with your kids and teaching them the curriculum that we've had them going through on Sunday mornings. So I would encourage you to go to the Facebook page and check out the videos and the instructions we have there. Let me also encourage you, uh, over the next several weeks and months, as, as all these variables begin to play out with the virus and, and we don't really know what's going to happen yet, let me encourage you to stay connected to, to those in our church family, uh, to reach out to each other. Obviously, we're not doing our big gathering, and we've even suspended our groups and some of our events during this time, but we'd like you guys to still connect and meet in smaller settings, but use discretion, and obviously, if you don't feel like you're comfortable with that, that's totally fine, too, but we do have technology, FaceTime, phone calls. We'd encourage you guys to stay connected over the next few weeks. You know, in some ways, what we're experiencing is very difficult for us to process, and there will be changes, and there's a lot of fear of the unknown. And we should be concerned because we don't know the outcome of, of, of what this virus will be. But in that, in the unknown, in, in sickness, and in accidents, and tragedies, and in natural disasters, these things have always been part of our human experience. We don't have control over the, the length of our lives, but we do have some control over the quality of, of our lives by how we think. And I don't say this to promote fear or to focus on our fears, but so we can think correctly about what life is, and so we can choose in wisdom how to spend our moments and our days and our years. So in some ways, this is new and difficult for us to process, and all these variables that we're going through right now, all these changes, uh, they're very difficult as we face corona. But in other ways, there's really nothing new about what we're facing. C.S. Lewis wrote a famous paper uh, over 70 years ago about the atomic bomb and the hysteria that was coming to the public as a result that the idea that their lives could be taken in, in just a moment. And I'd like to read a, a portion of, of, his, of his paper to you this morning. He said, this is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb come, find us doing sensible and human things, praying and working and teaching and reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. And I believe this is truly an opportunity for us to live well and to love well. There will be people in our church family and our community in need in the days and weeks and months that are to come, and we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to love those people. We are called to love not just those that love us, but those that are in need and those that are the most marginalized, both in our church family and in our community. And so as a church family, my hope is your pastor is that we would be not be led by fear or hysteria or even selfishness. We would understand the fragility of, and the value of our lives and the lives of others. And because we do understand those things, we choose to love and value others even during this time. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking for needs in our community. We will check in on our neighbors, and we're going to donate food to those that are in need. We're going to share our resources with those around us and treat them as if they're family because they are. And so if you have questions or needs or you see needs in our community, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. If there's things that our church can be a part of to help people, we want to do that. You can email us at info at thewaybiblechurch.com, and we will gather our resources there and do our best to meet those needs, both in our church family and in our community. This morning, on a personal note, I want to take a moment and share with you something that happened in our pastor's meeting several weeks ago. As pastors Rod and Rich and Brian and I met to talk about 
not just how we care for our church family and to pray for you, but we also plan our series out, do some spiritual formation in, the, in those meetings. As we begin to talk about our Easter series, the first week that we talked about was the week for Messiah, that God would have a plan from before time to send someone to rescue us and to deliver us. And we had that message last week. And if you haven't heard that, you can go to thewaybiblechurch.com and you can go to listen and you can, you can pick up that sermon and hear that message. And the second week of our series, which is this week's message, we actually decided to do the name Emmanuel and to express the idea that God is with us. And I don't think that's an accident that we have that for this morning. Um, and we're excited about the idea of talking about what Emmanuel means and the fact that God is with us. And it's a great reminder for us that in moments of uncertainty and fear and panic, um, God is not just for us, but he is also with us in these things. So this morning I'm excited to open the scriptures with you for a few minutes and look together at the truth of Emmanuel. So we're going to pray and then get right into it just like we would on a normal Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for this morning and we are just so grateful that we have the opportunity to be together as a church family in this setting um, through video. And I pray that the truths that we look at this morning, the verses that we read, Father, would just bring peace as we look at the reality of your presence with us and what it means for you to be with us, I pray that you would, in, in this time of fear and uncertainty, Father, I ask that you would just lead us into the truth of your presence, and we know that in your presence is peace. And so, Father, just uh, speak to us this morning, um, be with our hearts, and help us in all these things to honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, there's a prophecy about the Messiah. And it says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that name literally means God is with us. Now, for the people of Israel, when they heard this prophecy, in some ways this, this was really nothing new to them, because historically God had been with his people. They had seen him move and work. They had experienced the miracles. They had seen him show up on the mountain in thunder and in lightning. Uh, they had seen him in the tabernacle in the temple. They knew about God's presence with them. Even as far back as Abraham, we know that Abraham, the king uh, Abimelech, tells Abraham that he knows that God's presence is with him. And then, and then the king says the same thing about his son Isaac. We see that in Genesis 26, and he makes this observation, clearly God is with you. We know that the story of Jacob, as this progresses, in Genesis 28:15, God says this to Jacob. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. We know the story of Joseph as well. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. And where the Potiphar actually ends up buying him and having him as a slave in Potiphar's house. And what's interesting is that even Joseph as a slave, we see God's presence with him. In Genesis 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So even in slavery, we see God's presence still with Joseph. And then later, Joseph is actually accused of of trying to be with Potiphar's wife, and so he's sent to prison. And we see even in prison, God's presence is still with Joseph. In Genesis 39, verse 21 through 23, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And so we see that Joseph, even going through slavery, even going through prison, we see the very presence of God being with him. 
and it continues with the story of Moses, who's raised as a prince of Egypt, and he ends up murdering an Egyptian and fleeing Pharaoh as part of that. And so now the story picks up with Moses. Uh, he's having fled now. He's an outcast from Egypt. He's a shepherd leading sheep in the wilderness. He's out on his own by these sheep, and he sees the burning bush, and he sees the presence of God there at that bush. And we see what God tells him there in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. He says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then, of course, when Moses goes and rescues them through God's power, through the plagues, and delivers them through the Red Sea, Moses takes them to the Promised Land, and we know that they... Uh, they at the very beginning, decide they're not going to go in, so they wander for 40 years. When they go back to the promised land, as Moses prepares to die and Joshua takes over, we see Joshua giving the same idea from God. God says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We see this repeating over and over through Israel's history, that God's presence is with his people. And we know that God gives them the Ark of the Covenant. His presence goes with them. We know that they have the tabernacle and the temple, that God's presence fills these things. So the idea of God being with his people was not a new idea. But the way that God was going to be with his people was, was totally different. Let's read the verse in Isaiah 7 again. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, this wasn't just a spiritual presence. It wasn't a voice from a burning bush or a cloud filling the temple. This is God becoming man. God revealing who he is to us through Jesus. This is new. This is very different. This is a God with hands and feet and flesh. This is a God relating to us in the most complete way possible. He becomes like us. This is a God who can laugh and cry. This is a God who eats and drinks and sleeps. And this is a God who can bleed. We see this prophecy fulfilled in the incarnation of Jesus, that Emmanuel, God with us, God becomes like us. And we see that in the book of John. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was done anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see in the incarnation, God proving how much he values us, that he would become like us and come down to rescue us. We see that the Messiah being born, flesh and blood, is God's way of showing how much he values us. And you know, for Jesus, uh, in, in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul talks about his humility and how he lowered himself and how he emptied himself for us in this process of the incarnation. And in Hebrews 2, we see at the end of his life, uh, we see that Jesus goes to the cross for the joy that is set before him. Understand this, that right before he's crucified, we see Christ looking forward to what? To joy of being with us. Joy of being with us. And so as he's going to the cross, as he's about to face this torture and the murder and laying down his life and spilling his blood, he has joy at the idea of being with us because of what he's about to do. And so the idea of, of God being with us is not some romantic idea, but it's real, and it's, it's dirty, and it's bloody. There is a, a commitment that God has made to be with us in ways that sometimes I think we don't always fully understand. And this isn't just something that happened at the cross. 
And it's not just something that happened thousands of years ago when God's presence was with the individuals or when it filled the temple. This is God being with us even now. And so we see that God was with his people, but I want you to see that right now God is with his people as well. In Psalm 23, very famous psalm, uh, the psalmist actually says this. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then he uses a word. And the next word is for, and he gives an explanation as to why he's not afraid. You see, it's not just that he turned off his fear. There should have been fear, because he's in a valley of death right now. But the reason he's not afraid, he says, for you are with me. The reason he's not afraid is because God's presence is with him. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the idea of the shadow of death, this valley of, of the shadow of death, the actual translation is the valley of deepest darkness. So in our, in our deepest struggle, in, in the darkest times of our life, we don't have to be afraid because God is with us. And you may have experienced a, a child who's afraid of the dark or a child who has fear of the monster who's under the bed or in the closet. And what's interesting is when we enter that room and we sit with the child or we hold with the child, our presence gives them comfort. And most of the time, our presence helps alleviate their fears. And the same is true here for God. As, he, as we recognize that God is with us, our fears begin to evaporate. God begins to dispel the darkness and lead us into the truth of his presence. He also says in that verse, not just that God is with us, but his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And rod and staff had two different, two different jobs. The rod of the shepherd was actually something for protection. He would keep away the enemies of the sheep with that rod, whether it was wolves or lions or bears. The rod was a tool he used to protect the sheep. And the staff was something he used to rescue the sheep and to guide the sheep. If the sheep got stuck in a thorn bush, he could put that, that shepherd's staff around its neck and help pull it out, and the sheep would follow the shepherd and his staff. So we see protection, guidance, and deliverance. And so as we talk about this, this idea of God leading us, where is he leading us? And if we go to the end of that psalm, it tells us that surely we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we have this idea even already starting that God has been with his people. God is with his people, rescuing them, delivering them, protecting them, guiding them. And then we have the idea that he's taking us somewhere, that God will continue to be with us. So a God who has been with his people, is with his people, and will always be with his people. When the idea of God's presence with us, though, I want, to, I want to build this out a little bit more because I think Scripture reveals to us more about the reality of what God is doing in, with, with his presence being with us. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so God says, don't be afraid for, again, this explanation why you shouldn't be afraid. He gives us five reasons why we should not be afraid. And these five reasons are this. He says, I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you. You see, there is such a deepness to the idea of Emmanuel, God being with us. It's not just his presence here and now. It's his motive to always be with us, to always be for us, and, and his desire to be with us both now and forever. But it really does start with God's motive for us. God has always been for us. Always. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And God has been for us. His heart has always been for us. We have always been his treasure. We have always been loved. His love for us is infinite. It has no boundaries and no limits. 
in Proverbs chapter 8, you see this idea built out where even before creation begins, even as they're talking about creation among the Godhead, we see the idea that Jesus is delighting in the sons of men, the idea of being with us, the idea of having a relationship with us. He is delighting for that. So we see that this idea of Emmanuel is about God first and foremost always being for us, always having a desire to value us, to love us. But there's also the idea that in, in, in the idea of Emmanuel that nothing can separate us from God either. In Romans chapter 8, this idea is built out by the Apostle Paul. In verse 35, he says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And we could add in, or viruses. Is anything going to separate us from the love of God? Obviously, no. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. Verse 37, he goes on and says this, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Emmanuel is about God always desiring us, God always being for us, about nothing separating us from God's presence. And it's also about God promising to never leave us or forsake us or to forsake us. We see this first in Deuteronomy, but then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, it says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear for what can man do to me. And we see this idea of God saying, I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that gives us a confidence in his faithfulness, his faithful promise to us. So in Emmanuel, we see God has always been for us. He desires us. We are his treasure. We see that nothing can separate us from God's presence. We see that God's promising he will never leave us, never forsake us. We also see Jesus saying he will always be with us. In the Great Commission, as he leaves his disciples here on this earth, in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, we see this. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is an amazing promise. We see God's presence being with us, and now Jesus saying he's going to be with us as well. We see God's desire for us, his motive to be with us, that he has always been for us, that nothing can separate us from God, that God promising he will never leave us or forsake us, Jesus saying he will always be with us, and we also know that the Spirit of God dwells within us as believers. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says that the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we see that God has a heart for us, a desire for us. He has always been for us. Nothing can separate us from him. God will promising he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus promising he will always be with us. The Spirit of God dwelling within us. And we also see that God will always in the future dwell with his people. In Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So we see a God who has always been with his people, whose heart has always been for them, promising his faithfulness to them. We see Jesus saying, Always be with us, the Spirit dwelling within us, and a future where we will always be dwelling in the presence of God. We will always be with him. 
And so the idea of, of Emmanuel is not just for us in this moment, but it's for all of time that God has been with us and will be with us. And he's with us right now as well. So what can, what can we conclude if these things are true? What's the conclusion that we have to reach? And it's a very simple conclusion. And we've seen through several of, of these verses that we've read today, they've said the exact same thing. But the conclusion that we reach is if these things are true, then we don't have to be afraid anymore. And it's not saying that fear isn't present or fear doesn't come up when, when things happen to us. But the reality is that because God's presence is here, we don't have to be afraid. Because we know he is with us now and forever, we don't have to have fear in our lives that controls us anymore. You know, Charles Spurgeon had a famous quote about the significance of, of Emmanuel, and I want to paraphrase some of this idea here. He says this, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us in our nature. He is like us. In our grief, in our joy, in our pain, in our delight, in our hope, in our fear. He is with us in the judgment we face as well. He's even with us in the moment of our dying. And now we are with him. We are with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, his ascension, his triumph over fear and death and guilt and shame forever. And we are also with him in his glory. Church, God has always been for you. God will always be with you. And we will spend eternity with him. So no matter our outward circumstances or what we face in this life, no matter the mountaintop or the valley, no matter if we're experiencing joy or pain, may you believe that God is for you, both now and forever. May you believe that God is with you, both now and forever. And may that truth overcome your fear, because he is the God who is with us. He is Emmanuel.